Hello and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast number 85. I'm Elle and I'm here today with Bryony from Louder because Merle and Al are elsewhere, but I think we've got a better deal with Bryony. Bryony works across our websites. Bryony, tell us what you do. Hi, hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so I am editor-in-chief of Louder, which just means I look after the websites, including Metal Hammer, day to day, really. Yeah, Bryony has a very exciting job because she gets to look after Metal Hammer Prog and Classic Rock online, which is very exciting. But more exciting news here on the Metal Hammer podcast, our new issue is out. It is a world-exclusive interview with Evanescence's Amy Lee and within Temptations, Sharon, Den, Adele. So they're going on a huge European tour next year and we got them together to talk about their careers, the changing attitudes towards women in metal and how the scene's really evolved since they first broke through two decades ago. It's a really, really cool interview done by our own Danny Levers and it's so interesting to get them together to chat, so please go pick that up. It also comes with an Evanescence laptop sticker and a Within Temptation art print and posters. But if you're not into Evanescence and Within Temptation, and why wouldn't you be, there's also a load of other cool stuff in there. You can finally read Merlin's features from his recent trip to San Francisco. He went to see S&M 2 and got an exclusive interview with the show's composer, Edwin Outwater. And he went to see Iron Maiden, bringing the legacy of the Beast Tour to the United States. There's also our special feature with Lacuna Coil in the London Dungeon. I know some of you guys went out to that night, which was bloody good. Plus interviews with Ginger, Arch Enemy, Alcest, Mayhem, Insomnium, Airborne and many more. So please go pick up the issue. You can head to tinyurl.com slash buyhammer to order your copy online or go to tinyurl.com slash findhammer to find your nearest shop and go and buy it in person. Very exciting. It is very exciting. Brian is all <laughs> over it. But yeah, massive, basically a sort of massive symphonic special with loads of cool gifts and cool extras in there. So go pick up Hammer. Right, Bryony, as loud as editor-in-chief, what news has been on our website? Well, I would say one of the biggest stories we've had this week over the weekend was obviously the death of Ginger Baker. Um, Ginger Baker was the cream drummer who has been widely credited with being one of the forefathers of the heavy music rock genre, although he made it very clear in recent years he didn't like (laughs) 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 that label. Um, I think there was a point where he referred to heavy music as an abortion. Yeah, yeah, I've got the quote here, actually. It's kind of funny. I think people have been crediting him, well, Cream as well, with the birth of heavy metal. And he told Forbes magazine, well, I would definitely... Oh, no, he says, I've seen where Cream is sort of held responsible for the birth of heavy metal. Well, I would definitely go for aborting. I loathe and detest heavy metal. I think it is an abortion. I mean, it's pretty strong words. Yeah, he... I mean, he... he wasn't a massive fan of what it became but I think you can't really argue with the fact that he was there when it started um but he that was typical of Ginger Baker he was known for being I think the word irascible has been used a lot in, yeah <laughs> in the coverage since he died and it's definitely fair to say that he had strongly felt opinions on a lot of things um well I saw a few things over the weekend when this is all breaking and it said you know 
a lot of people, obviously, that I follow are journalists or work in the media, and they said they'd gone to interview him or photograph him, and they were really, really scared of actually doing it because he was such a big personality, and they did not know what he was going to say. Yeah. Um, I think I actually think it is one of probably the fundamental things that made him the musician that he was, the fact he took absolutely no bullshit. I think people have said he didn't suffer fools easily, but it sounds more like he didn't suffer anyone <laughs> <laughs> at all, ever. Um, we actually ran a, an interview with him not long before he died, which was cut short halfway through because, I mean, in fairness, he, he's, he was 80 when, when he died and he had been really in ill health for some time. Uh, But he... I mean, it sounds like it was a real... It wouldn't have been particularly pleasant for the people that knocked up against him. Or if if you had to go and interview him, I'm sure it would have been a pretty bad day at the office, no matter how prepared you were. Um, But I think it's something that made him the musician he was, because... If you're that steadfast in what you believe and what you think is right, that's going to come across in the music you're making. And it, it's proven in the fact that he was at the f- forefront of so many different musical genres and experimentations. Well, the obituary that we printed on Louder is incredible when you actually read through it. And I've obviously always been aware of Cream and Ginger Baker, but I wasn't quite aware of exactly how much he'd done and how much he'd been involved with. Because it wasn't just Cream, was it? He, he drums for Public Image Limited, yeah. John Lydon's band. Uh, what else? I mean, he, he had a real far-reaching uh, influence over a lot of things. He was a member of Hawkwind, I believe. Um, as well as Masters of Reality. He worked with a lot of different jazz drummers. That was a massive thing as well. And um, yeah. that's, a, that's still a big thing now when you speak to lots of big rock and metal drummers. Often they are influenced by jazz and he was obviously bringing those things in very early on. There's the song Toad, is it? Which was the really lengthy drumming uh, solo closing track on, was it Cream's debut or Fresh Cream? Is that the first one? And that seemed to have a, like a massive influence on a lot of people. Um, I think it's been called like the first drum-led track or the first kind of drum solo yeah. that was kind of really committed to tape. So yeah, massive, massive amounts of stuff. So yeah, go read all about Ginger Baker on Louder because you know I'm going to be really honest. It's more of like my parents' music, and it's not something that I ever really delved into. But sadly, sometimes you know when people die, you kind of do take that chance to go yeah. and look back at someone's career and that's a cool thing to do yeah well what else is going on on a less serious note this is great we're going to talk about christmas albums rob halford is doing a christmas album it's called celestial and it's out next week so merlin isn't doing the podcast today but his question was is it possible to have a genuinely great christmas rock album and i think it's funny that he put that down because we both love christmas <laughs> albums I mean, I'm amazed that this is a question that even needs to be asked. Well, he wanted us to ask it, but I think it's asking the wrong people. Because we're so. both going to say, yes, Christmas albums 100% all the way. It yeah. doesn't matter if they're cheesy. That's part of the fun of it. Like, you expect them to be cheesy. You expect some of them to be a bit shit, but it's all part of the Christmas fun. I like festive fun. Absolutely. And, you know, Christmas music is a pretty good place to start as your base point because it is imbued with joy. <laughs> 
No. Have you listened? To- <laughs> so Rob Halford, he's released a track called Donner and Blitzen. There's also a, a, another single he's released, which is a rendition of Hark the Herald. I've not heard that one. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> which is your favourite then, out of the two? <laughs> Definitely Hark the Herald. A twist on an old classic. Love, love a good Christmas carol, um, especially when tackled by Rob Halford. Um, but I think, I mean, Rob Halford has got form. He's got previous on this anyway, because he's already done a Christmas album. He has, yeah. Winter Songs in 2009. And you're into that, aren't you? I love it. I've heard I... you talk about it before. <laughs> <laughs> Every Christmas, probably. <laughs> um, but and I also just like that Rob Halford is a massive metal god, but he never takes himself too seriously on no. that front. Like, he's quite happy to do a Christmas album. Some bands would turn around and be like fuck that shit but he's um, all about embracing that spirit more for them because <laughs> what is more joyful than a good bit of christmas uh rock music i actually like the lyric from donner and blitzen donner and blitzen tear through the sky bringing good fortune love from on high donner and blitzen donner and blitzen is a song though isn't it is it i think i thought so. he just written it no I is think... it really a song <laughs> yeah no i thought that was a new one okay well i might be wrong there is a song, probably no, many on. songs called Donner and Blitzen. Hang on. So it says, the new album will feature a collection of festive favourites which have been given a metal makeover, including Away in a Manger, The First Noel, A Little Town of Bethlehem and Good King Wenceslas. Along with the traditional Christmas tunes, Celestial will also include four original songs, Celestial, Donna and Blitzen, Morning Star and Protected by the Light. Oh wow, so it is an original. Well, unfortunately, I thought it was the weaker of the two tracks, so... Sorry, Rob. Um, That's because you're primed, though. Yes. Do you have a favourite, like, metal Christmas album or song? Okay, listen. I don't have a favourite metal Christmas album. Okay. I do have a favourite rock slash punk Christmas album. Okay. And I think this is an example of uh, how a Christmas rock slash metal slash punk album can be absolutely fantastic. Uh, Bad Religion's Christmas Songs. Oh, Have you nice. heard that? No. Now, Eleanor is not a punk fan. She does. <laughs> She's quite staunchly anti-punk music. I am not um, anti-punk music. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, I don't really like stuff that's really, really, really rough around the edges. I like there to be some kind of polish or some kind of singing in tune. Like, that's just what I prefer. I mean, Bad Religion is also. I like Bad Religion, tune. though. Okay, I actually great. do like Bad Religion. Then and you I, would love this Christmas album. And also, album. they're kind of one of the bands I don't even think of as much in that bracket because, like, growing up, they were one of the bands that would always be, like, on a Warped Tour bill or yes. on a compilation album with metal bands. So I think they are a lot more linked than, like, some other ship. Well, that is a perfect <laughs> example of a very good Christmas record. As soon as it kicks in every year, you know it's the festive period is upon you. We have to put that in the office then. When, how soon is too soon? Well, I mean, we did play Rob Halford's Christmas songs in the office this week. Did we? We did. <laughs> I was so, working from home, guys. I've had been ill, so yeah. Missed that one. Sad times. So as far as I'm concerned, the time is now. <laughs> well, my favourite Christmas track is Wizards in Winter by Trans-Siberian Orchestra. It's amazing. Best Christmas song ever. Can't so. say I'm familiar. I'm going to introduce you. You have <laughs> okay. to watch the video, though, Great. where they have <laughs> these, like, lights, which on a house... I'm not explaining this. There are lights on a house, Christmas lights, and the lights flash in time to the song. That does sound nice. It's it sounds amazing. like the uh, Christmas lights in time to ACDC. 
that we've run most Christmases. <laughs> <laughs> great video yeah. check it's it out similar sort, similar sort of vibe yeah. yeah i mean we probably shouldn't have been left to talk about christmas songs really should we no because we could just talk for a long time so we should probably move on to more news Bryony. excellent uh sepultura they have some news they do they're releasing a concept album called quadra <laughs> <laughs> what do we know about quadra then quadra uh it's going to be released in early 2020 i think uh, it's coming out via Nuclear Blast. Um, and if I am not mistaken, there is going to be a special studio report from the band in an upcoming issue of Metal Hammer. There is, Bryony. Nice plug there. So make sure you pick up Metal Hammer. It's going to be... I'm not going to tell you when it's coming out, but it's coming out soon and you'll be able to read about Metal Hammer. But, um, yeah, they've said that the concept... Uh, well, they talked about the artwork. They said it's based on the number four, obviously, Quadra. And Andreas Kisser said, Quadra, among other meanings, is the Portuguese word for sports courts that by definition is a limited area of land with regulatory demarcations where according to a set of rules, the game takes place. So that's <laughs> a very specific definition. He's saying a quadra is a place where you play sports. But then it kind of gets even more complex than that because it's not just a sport court. He then takes it out into this metaphor where he says, we all come from different quadras, right. countries, all nations with their borders and traditions, culture, religions, laws, education, and a set of rules where life takes place. Our personalities, what we believe, how we live, how we build societies and relationships all depends on these sets of rules that we grew up with. Concepts of creation, God's death, and ethics. So it's pretty heavy. Sounds pretty deep. Pretty, pretty deep there, well, yeah. Well, here's a question for you, Eleanor. Oh, yeah? As a Sepultura fan, is a Sepultura concept album something we need in 2020? Well, Bryony, Sepultura have a long form of concept records. Oh, do they now? Yes. So basically, after Max left, they obviously got Derek Green in. Mm-hmm. They did a couple of records with Derek, and then they basically just seemed to switch to doing concept records. So the first one they did was Dante. Uh, I know I hate Roman numerals XX one. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Roman numerals so much. 20, I can't twenty one. I'm just gonna admit now I can't read Roman numerals. Neither can I. And I always so. admit that I can't. So I can't. There you go. It's some sort of like um, I don't know. I just can't read them. But yeah, that one was based on the Divine Comedy. I remember when it came out, it had like that brown cover and it looked like a historical like um, parchment almost, like a painting on a parchment. I should get a picture of it up so I can describe it better, but it had like people and like an orange background and that was kind of like the first concert one that they did. Nice. Um, and yeah, that was about the Divine Comedy. And then three years later, they did Alex, which was based on A Clockwork Orange. And then after that, they did Kairos, which is about time. And then, deep breath, they did The Mediator Between Head and Hands Must Be the Heart, which was about Metropolis, the expressionist film. And then they did Machine Messiah, which was about the mechanization of society. So I remember like when Dante came out, I was a bit like, oh, are they kind of running out of ideas because they're just doing concepts now rather than kind of writing something emotional or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then they, I think it just must really work for them writing in that way I haven't actually interviewed them for a long time so I don't really know like the exact reasons 
why they switched to doing them, but they've just been really consistent. Every couple of years, they just release another record with another different concept. You know, always solid records. You know, it's people know Sepultura are never going to be as big as kind of the 90s or when they had Max and then, well, Max and Igor in it. And it's just, it's a different kind of band now, but they are just consistently good at writing these kinds of records. So I imagine it's going to be pretty cool, but... Yeah, just they're just really consistent with those concepts. Um, it, yeah, just must be the way that they like to work together, I guess. It'd be nice if at the end of it all, they revealed that within all of the concepts, they make one big concept. That would be amazing. <laughs> Which suddenly reveals itself. The concept of concepts. Yeah. <gasps> Go on, Sepultura. There's uh, a challenge for you. Yeah, definitely. And especially as all the concepts are always quite highbrow as well. Like... Mm. Divine Comedy, obviously, massively highbrow. Clockwork Orange, massively lauded film. You know, Metropolis, again, like, culturally significant film. And, yeah, it's... Uh, they're intelligent people, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a theory that if any band is at it for long enough, they will eventually release a concept album. Yeah, I actually think that is a pretty robust theory, and the ones who haven't done it yet, they've probably just not got there. Yeah. I, and I do worry, like, with bands when it, they do concept albums that they, kind of, they have kind of run out of something to say because they're sort of attaching everything to one thing, especially if it's an existing text, like something that's already out there. Yeah. And that thing by itself can already say the message. I'm not being articulate here, but you know what I mean? Like, that thing already exists. Brian is laughing at me. That thing already <laughs> exists in the world, and people can already consume it and analyse it. So it's like, why do we kind of need something else? But then when it's a concept that's done really, really well and it's based on something that I love or it's just fantastically written music, then I just kind of throw that out the window and just be like, bring me all the concepts. This is amazing. Like, yeah. I some guess concept like albums are great. How you have different... Uh, renditions or adaptations of plays absolutely books. it's just a different interpretation of telling the same story i guess it is and um i think that's just me being really reactionary sometimes <laughs> when actually a band's doing something really amazing so mm. yeah i'm into interpretations and reinterpretations wow <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about concept albums happy to <laughs> have a concept out. I mean, for me, actually, I, I do understand what you mean uh, when you say you hear about concept albums. For me, I feel slightly like it dampens hearing from the band themselves. So yeah. if you're taking a subject matter that's out there already and making a concept album about it, it's a little bit less personal. Yeah. Than something a band is writing about their own experiences in the world, I suppose. Uh, Did you know that Sepultura were like well into concept albums? No, or were not you at like, all. oh, this is interesting? <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> it at is all. interesting, and by the way, I'm not I'm not trying to like take that away from them. It is genuinely yeah. interesting. I genuinely want to know. But yeah, it's a it's a thing. So yeah. No, we'll full see. disclosure, I've not paid too much attention to Sepultura in the twenty first century. Well, we can make an office playlist. Yeah. It could be Sepultura slash Christmas songs. I think we'll be very popular in the office we'll if very we do that. Popular, yeah. <laughs> uh, some more news. This is super, 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 super cool. Chelsea Wolfe has announced a UK and European tour, including a stop at London's Alexandra Palace, which is massive. That venue is what, like 
8,000 people, something like that. Is it more? Is it 10,000 people? Help. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be 10,000 people, but yeah, Chelsea Wolfe is a very, very cool artist. She's just released the record Birth of Violence, which I actually wrote about for our sister magazine, Prog, and we had a chat about um, the things she's been going through in the last couple of years and how she's written this kind of very emotionally heavy acoustic record and how she's been thinking more about femininity and heavy music and had a, sort of a bit of a spiritual feminine awakening and got more into witchcraft and tarot cards and self-reflection. And it was super, super interesting. And this record is definitely listen to Birth of Violence. It's just something that feels very intimate and very cool and very, I think, uh, yeah, it's just good. It's a good record. <laughs> Um, and it's just something that you can kind of just sit down and really really take in um, and sit with and I think it's going to be crazy like seeing her at Alexander Palace it's just such a cool thing to happen for an artist like Chelsea Wolfe to be on a platform that big so Alexander Palace is actually 10,400 capacity yeah it's crazy it's a big one it's a really really big venue so um, really excited to hear that's going to happen and also there's a ton of other cool venues on the list as well like Coventry Cathedral which is awesome. that would be amazing yeah that's a great venue for her yeah um very cool so yeah I mean I don't know if she's going to be in the main hall of Alexander Palace there are other rooms as well but I'd imagined her being in there so uh, yeah I would assume yeah, so yeah um I, and I don't know what is going to be on the bill either but I'm excited to see who they're going to put together for it I think your feature with her sounds really interesting actually I oh, think thanks, <laughs> we discussed this briefly <laughs> beforehand. Um, obviously, we're both coming from uh, a biased perspective, but I yes. think articles about how femininity, especially when you're in your mid-30s and relating it to music in the world around you, is pretty interesting. There's um, a really amazing quote that I haven't got to hand, and she was basically saying like she wanted to find... She'd always ignored femininity because she wanted to just do music and often, you know, do heavy music and be thought of almost as kind of androgynous and it not really factoring in. But actually, um, you know, for her, femininity is part of who she is and it is part of her life. So she wanted to find a way to incorporate that that was comfortable. And she kind of said, uh, you know, probably a lot of people struggle with that. And I wish I had the quote to hand, and I don't, so you'll have to read it in prog. But the way that she put it was really interesting to me as a female metal writer and as somebody who has spoken to other women in bands who have also touched on similar subjects or, you know, explored that way. How, how do you kind of bring that element into it? It's just an interesting conversation, really. Yeah, I think I think both of us have spoken to female artists before who have mentioned that when you're first maybe getting started in music, the expectation is that you're up there with the lads and you can match them and be just as laddie and macho as they can. And that is a lot of stage persona um, for especially bands maybe slightly more historically. Um, but I've seen a lot of conversations recently about how femininity and heavy music don't need to be too opposed ideas yeah I think it's a really interesting conversation yeah and she really talks about what she's going through as a woman in her 30s and the stage of life she's at as well which is really interesting again if you're a woman in your 30s but also not a woman in your 30s I think I found it interesting because some of the things she was saying I felt were coming she was coming from a similar place to where I am in my life 
Whereas when I've interviewed musicians in the past, I've interviewed a lot of men who were at different stages in different places. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of quite interesting. It's, it's something that I haven't really spoken to a musician about, this kind of vibe. Um, but equally, if you're not a woman and you're not in your th- 30s, it's still a massively interesting artistic statement and massively relevant. So yeah. yeah, and an insight into something that you maybe haven't thought so much about. Exactly. She's cool. We like Chelsea Wolf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, talking about femininity and heavy music. Yeah, this is a great segue <laughs> into our next uh, topic. Yeah, so you may have seen on Twitter this week, there's some talk about Download and whether or not they're booking enough female bands. So this is actually from an old news story a few years ago, um, but it's been kind of re... Um, it's been re-explored again online by Serena Cherry from Svalbard. She's been tweeting about some of these old comments. So take us back, Bryony. It was like four years ago, wasn't it, when Andy Copping was talking about download festival bills and the ratio of male to female artists. Yeah, it was 2015. Um, and his comments basically revolved around the fact that they don't book as many women for download as men because, in his opinion, women are less inspired to pick up a guitar and become a musician. Um, So these are the comments that have been uh, brought up again this week. Uh, Eleanor, what are your thoughts? Well, (laughs) it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think um, it's interesting these comments have resurfaced now, and Serena Cherry is embarking on a PhD, and I think it's about, um, I can't remember the exact title, but it's about um, being female, being in the music industry, and how you're treated, and attitudes towards women, and that kind of thing. So I think that's why she's bringing it to the surface now because we kind of had this debate a few years ago. Are there enough female bands on bills overall? And Download came up as one that is heavily male-dominated and Andy was responding to comments about that, about whether he thought there should be more women. Yeah. And um, what he was essentially saying was there aren't enough women to choose from when they're picking the bill because they're not... there either aren't enough bands with women in overall or they're not rising up to kind of those higher ranks. Yeah. So he was kind of saying there's just a problem with me finding them. But obviously we explored in some features online and in the magazine about the systemic problems with women in metal bands and how do we make it so that women can see more female role models. You know, it's the whole thing of you can't be what you can't see. Like how how do we make that easier? How do we make women feel more comfortable in spaces that are generally for men how do we make it easier for women to write and record it was all these kind of questions of why aren't there more women in metal bands or more um you know yeah more women in metal bands and what are the issues surrounding it and what are people doing to help are there is there studio time available for um women in bands which there was there's kind of a scheme you could get on and are there any any groups where people can go and play with other female musicians and feel a bit more confident we were just kind of talking about all these things you did a piece for us Bryony, which yeah. was kind of looking at some initiatives to aim that aim to get more women into the music industry essentially yeah and i think we as publishers take our responsibility and our role in this quite seriously mm. um i think we especially between us have thought quite hard about our role in making sure we're involved in better representation of female artists. Um, And hopefully it's something that comes across in our content, both online and in the magazines. Uh, And I think these comments um, that Serena's brought up are from an article 
titled something like festival book is it's it is actually your responsibility to right okay yeah make your bills better in terms of gender parity yeah uh and i think maybe that's when that question is raised we hear quite similar arguments coming out time after time probably similar to when we discussed this a couple of years ago um the idea that there's just not enough women making music, making heavy music uh, that would fit the download bill. Um, I think that's something that else that Serena did was make her own version of a download bill. Yeah, uh, she did. She's made a poster. I'm just going to pull it up now, actually, so we can have a look at the bands that she's put in it because she's picked a really interesting selection. She has, and I think the... There. The selection of bands is possibly slightly more diverse, uh, slightly more into the fringes than you would typically expect to get on a download bill. Okay, so you can see this on Serena's Twitter. I'm only going to read out some of the bands because there's obviously an entire poster here to go with. But she's got on the main stage headlining Friday is Nightwish with Within Temptation, Arch Enemy, Epica. Headlining on the Saturday is Ghost with Coven, Quail of Filth, Electric Wizard. Headlining on the Sunday is Evanescence, Doro, Hailstorm, Lacuna Coil. And then the second stage, we've got headlining Friday. There's Rollo Tomasi, Oathbreaker, Employed to Serve. On the Saturday, it's Bay Metal, Amaranth, The Agonists. On the Sunday, it's Distillers, Tonight Alive, and New Year's Day. And then on the third stage, we've got Emma Ruth Rundle, Abnormality, and Witch Sorrow. Mono, Lingua, Ignota, and Vodun. Unleash the Archers, The Gathering, and Anathema. And then the fourth stage, we've got My Ruin, False Hysterical Injury, Witch Mountain, Thought Forms, Hands Off Gretel, and Triptychon, Aluna, and Midas Fall. So that's kind of a, a sample set of the top bands on those stages. Well, the first thing that I thought when I saw this poster was this is really cool that there are so many bands featuring women that are heavy enough to feature at Download. I was like quite struck by the fact because when somebody kind of puts you on the spot and goes, oh, like, think of some bands that feature women, you kind of go, oh, you just sort of pick the obvious ones. But if you actually sit down and make a list, there are a lot of heavy bands, which is great, actually. There's more than I thought. And there's more that aren't on this list. There's, you know, Oceans of Slumber, Baroness, Anavon Housewolf, Marmosets, plenty of plenty more bands that could be on the bill. So at first impressions, I was like, wow, like, this is pretty cool yeah you know. I think it's very easy to buy into the kind of knee-jerk excuse that gets wheeled out which is that there just aren't enough women in bands that people want to see on stages like download yeah um, and I think this really easily disproves that as a theory um the main problem with this is that there aren't enough headliners and there aren't enough big bands on it yeah because there are plenty of bands here that you really want to go and see and when I saw this poster I was like wow there's tons of bands here that I would want to see but in terms of actually booking a festival uh, Nightwishes headliners I mean in the rest of Europe they do do headline slots but download I think it'd still be quite a difficult sell just in terms of their commercial potential and how many fans they've got in the right context I can see it working but yeah it would need too. to be the right context yeah you would need to make sure i mean they've got within temptation and arch enemy under there and um i think you would maybe need you know within temptation evanescence i don't know you'd need like you'd probably 
I mean, when people are putting festivals together, they often group bands in the same genre. And I think you'd want like the real heavy hitters of symphonic under there. So that if you were going on that day, you'd be like all over the symphonic metal and you would just yeah. be, you know, that would be that day that like a full on kind of mini festival of it. Yeah. I think that would be really awesome. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, still a little bit difficult, but not beyond the realm of possibility. Um, Ghost, we've talked about coming up to headliner status, but then not there yet. Or, you know, I definitely think they could be at download in the future. Um, I think it's one of those things where someone just needs to take a risk, take a punt on it, and quite possibly it would work out quite well. For Ghost or just this for in general? For, for Ghost, Ghost. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they're, get, they're really getting to that point now, mm-hmm. like supporting Metallica in stadiums and playing their own arena shows, advancing their story, releasing new music all the time. They just released two new singles, pushing the concept. Like, I just think they're getting bigger and bigger and we always kind of flag them up. So definitely within the realm as a possibility, but, you know, not really this year as we've kind of seen with yeah. the current bill. And then Evanescence headlining on the Sunday, again, fantastic band, but I think you kind of expect to see them as a sub-headliner rather than a headliner. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'd say like similarly for the other stage as well, Baby Metal, Massive, I think they could definitely headline um, a smaller stage, but then Roller Tomasi and Distillers, I absolutely love Roller Tomasi and the Distillers are really awesome too, but I don't know, It's again, it's quite difficult to wonder if the second stage whether I don't know I think Royal Automatic could do the second stage in the future I really hope that they could um but at the moment they're not playing places as quite that big so again like you said it would be taking a bit of a leap yeah not to say it wouldn't work out but it's a bit of a leap for um a stage that usually usually has kind of bands that play bigger venues on it that's really all it comes down to is that when they're booking down there they're obviously thinking which band's bring the shows and which bands fill these bigger venues that are going to be a big draw yeah. doesn't really come down to much more than that pulling potential uh, and looking at previous shows and previous audiences yeah but i think a lot of these festivals and i'm not singling out download here i'm talking widely across the board would benefit from a bit more risk taking um whether it's in smaller bands so that they have a few more women on the bill or if it's just generally speaking uh i think a lot of the time really good things come from taking a risk on someone you think might work out like for example ghost as a headliner uh or with having nightwish taking on the friday night or whatever um i have seen you know some comment online about uh, the lineups, and I think possibly this speaks to a wider issue uh, with festivals and with festival lineups that within the headliners, there's not a lot of diversity because generally speaking, they're a similar rotor of bands uh, from an era where heavy music wasn't a pursuit that was as accessible to women. Mm. so until you get the younger bands coming up and being given a chance in the headlining slots I don't see how that's going to change massively for the next couple I of years absolutely you can see what you mean there um, actually Bay Metal did play the second stage at Download I'm trying to think they were in the afternoon not headlining but they could easily be like bumped up to that kind of slot and like I said I would love to see Roller Tomasi in that position absolutely love it they're such a fantastic band but something that 
did strike me actually when looking at this as what you just literally made a point about um bands kind of coming up mm-hmm. and when I again when I looked at this it made me kind of think a lot of the bands on this billing not all of them but a lot of them are either in the symphonic area yeah which generally have been you know is a genre that has been led forward by women yeah um or they're kind of more in the underground scene and they've come up in the last decade so on the one hand as it kind of makes me go like this is really good because there was a load of bands in the last decade that have like rising up and up and up and so to me that's a sign that things are changing you know if you look at like yeah bands like venom prison or who else have we got on here uh you know kind of the I'm just going to use death pop because we've used it in the mag before, but I don't really mean that these artists are the same, but you know, people like Chelsea Wolfe, um, Emma Ruth Rundle, um, Lingua Ignota, they're all in this, you know, same label Sergeant house, I think. Um, and then you've got Oathbreaker, part of the church of Ra and kind of undergrounds in that sense. Um, there's a lot of these bands that, yeah, they've come up in the last decade and are really making a name for themselves. So I was quite excited by that. The fact that it does feel like there has been a change and that this poster is a lot more full of artists from the last decade yeah. featuring women and that maybe a decade ago it would have been a slightly different picture. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. It's kind of stuff is rising and I think the more it does rise, the more artists we're going to see. But yeah, I, I would say there's a lot from like underground genres, symphonic sort of riot girl slash punky type stuff as well there's like um milk teeth muncie girls yeah i Um, mean if these bands are going to carry on getting bigger they're going to need to be given spots on stages like these yeah absolutely and that's where as we talk about the responsibility comes into it actually that's where the responsibility of the bookers does fall on them to offer a stage to younger talent to newer bands bands who are good, who have strong followings uh, so they can continue to grow just like the generation of bands that came before them. I would love to see in like five years, ten years time, I'd love to look at this poster and be like where the bands now aren't big enough to be booked for those slots. You know, I'd love to look at it and they're all big enough because they've all developed in that time and they could all be booked for these amazing places. That would be so good. I mean, it's interesting you say about symphonic metal being where women have come forward, uh, sort of led the way forward. Um, a common complaint that we see is that really heavy, brutal music just isn't made by women. And when women do make it, it's not as good as <laughs> the music Fuck off. Music made by <laughs> not men. Not you, Bryony. But I think <laughs> what you have there, and you mentioned Lingua Ignota, she is the absolute best example of the fact she's she's made the most brutal album this year hands down uh i actually really struggle to listen to it really i think it's brilliant but it's so hard to listen to because i can't like if i get home and i just want to put some music on while i'm like just doing things around the house like (laughs) you can't do that with her because she's so arresting and it's just literally just pouring everything out of her body and soul and it's like so encompassing but what yeah what she's yeah. done is absolutely brilliant it definitely, and it's so heavy it's not an easy listen it it's really not requires no. your complete undivided attention yeah um it's all the better for giving it that um 
but she's out there making the hev- some of the heaviest music I've heard this year. And uh, she's a great example of the fact that that's just utter bollocks. Yeah. Um, well, like we said about Chelsea Wolfe playing this tour and doing Alexander Palace, that's really, really cool. Like, I'd love to see that happening with tons more of these bands on the bill. Like you said, it's just been given the chance or given just opportunities, isn't it? It's all yeah. about opportunities. It is, and, and the people that hold the opportunities, it's their responsibility to give them out. And again, the more and more things happen, the more we'll follow on from that. So, yeah, interesting point that Serena's raised. And um, I want to sit down and do my own poster, actually. <laughs> <laughs> See where I'd put people. I definitely have Babe Metal in there like she has because they're, they're, like, so much fun. Um, and, yeah, it's a really, really interesting idea. It's just we need it needs a bit more time to come to fruition. I think we're in that period now where things are changing but it's not quite all happened yet yeah but yeah there are festivals out there who are miles ahead in this regard just look at roadburn mm. their lineup next year they they have emma ruth rundle doing the curating among other people and i mean the lineup's looking great yeah it's, it's just that thing again isn't it like it's more of a niche festival that can yeah. just do those things and people yeah. know it's experimental and people know that they just go there and have a good time. They can take a leap, whereas Download or Bloodstock or any of those festivals in Europe that are metal festivals as well, it's like they're the big kind of keystone festivals and it's just harder to make those jumps. You know, it's just if we want these festivals, we have to book big bands and sometimes that involves booking headliners we've seen before. Sometimes it involves having similar kinds of bills and it's just if we want these festivals, that's just the way it is. But... I really hope that we can, yeah, more change can happen in the next few years. Obviously, and that we can get yeah. some of these bands up to those places. It's easy for us to say as commentators looking from the outside in, book different bands, book a wider variety of bands and everything else. But, the, you know, we're not the ones holding... And I love the download the bill this year. Like the, we and Merlin talked about it a few weeks back and the undercard uh, has got like a ton of bands on it that are like literally my favourite bands. And they've still got a lot yet to be announced. So we might actually see some of these names on this poster creeping in. We never yeah. know. All depends on people's album cycles, touring cycles, Absolutely. budgets, all that kind of stuff, which are the logistics. And <laughs> yeah, it's not an easy job, is it, at the end of the day? No, the festival. Absolutely it's not. really hard and really lucky to have so many festivals that we can go to in this country and such a variety and props to those people for making festivals happen because it's a logistical and financial nightmare (laughs) (laughs) yeah and there is the actually very relevant point to consider that they have a heartland of fans who like the bands that they're putting on They, they like those headliners and they're the people that they want to see and those are their punters and they've got to consider their wants as well as everyone else's yeah I think we're just going through a period of change really and um, it's yeah just have to see how things evolve it'll be an interesting one to see unfold (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I think I might make my list or just make a list that's 50-50 see what that's like yeah (laughs) (laughs) are you going to make a list Bryony? why don't we make a playlist we can put it on the website Let's there we go. Okay. All the bands we want to see. Yeah. Right. That we want to get bigger so they can headline festivals and be amazing forever. Absolutely. 
Well, we have some reader questions, so we should get to some of those. Uh, this one's for you, actually, Bryony. Marco LG asks, what are the most read articles on Loud Earth? How do you see the website evolving in the next couple of years? Big question, Bryony. <laughs> it is. Um... Tell us everything you're doing. Tell us your strategy <laughs> for the next two years. <laughs> yeah, without giving too much It's away. a really good question, though, Marco. Thanks. It is. Well, we'll start with the most read articles, because I can give you a concrete answer on those. Um, the actual biggest thing we've ever had on the Louder websites is our playlist of the 40 greatest power ballads ever. And that has just done unbelievably well for like the last five years or so. Power ballads is a thing. It is a very popular thing, uh, it turns out. Um, we, so that, that leads by some way after that. It, we've got a lot of stuff about Queen and Freddie Mercury that's done particularly well. Um, oh, yeah, because the movie as well. I'm guessing yeah. there was a big surge of interest there. The movie spiked a lot of interest in, yeah. in that sort of stuff. But if we're going to talk more sort of Metal Hammer-centric... Yeah, go on then. Um, actually, something that Eleanor commissioned, which was our explanation of the Rammstein Deutschland video. Oh, yeah. Explained by an Oxford professor... Uh, which was a great, great call, great bit of content. <laughs> <laughs> that's done really well. That's the biggest thing that I think has ever been on Metal Hammer online. I've actually had to read it about 10 times, even though I commissioned it, because there's always more, like, I'm fascinated with Ramstein anyway, and I always feel like there's more to learn about that video and more to go back to. And I've watched it, like, so many times and kind of read it and gone, what does this bit mean? Like, a massive nerd, so there you yeah. go. Or a geek. Um, after that, was Charles Manson's letter to Marilyn Manson. I don't know if you remember that. No. Uh, well, Charles Manson, when he was still alive, wrote a letter to Marilyn Manson um, from prison. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I yeah. do remember that. Because he was writing music in prison as well, wasn't he, Charles Manson? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a long handwritten, not massively sensical letter. Um, but that, that did really well. That's one of the biggest stories we've ever had. And finally, the history of every Slipknot mask. <gasps> that is cool. <laughs> Which is, it's a great article, actually. It's very in-depth. It goes through every era, as you might expect. And yeah, those are probably the biggest things we've had. Well, they are definitely the biggest <laughs> things we've had numbers on the site. Numbers tell us they're definitely the biggest things. The numbers if do If you've tell not had us. a look at those, go and check them out. Power ballads, uh, masks, Slipknot masks, Ramstein video, it's all there. Everyone always has a need for power ballads. Yeah, I mean, that's another playlist waiting to happen. <laughs> we do also have a metal power ballads playlist on the site. Do so we? We do. So if that's more your bag, then uh, listen to them both. Why not? <laughs> um, in terms of the website evolving, um, it's a really good question. I think it's hard to tell what's happening in terms of digital trends so it's something mm. we always try to keep at least a little handle on um really we just are interested in what our readers like though we generally try to have our content driven by what we know performs the best with our readers um we will try to curate the bands we cover based on what we know people like. So I think our main strategy, really, is just to try and keep making good, thoughtful, quality content, hopefully that you can't always read elsewhere, uh, that our readers like. 
tell us what you want to see and Bryony will make it happen. That's a big promise, <laughs> <laughs> but I will do my best. She is the genius at work behind our website, so I believe she can make anything happen. <laughs> <laughs> tell us what you want to see. More power ballads, more masks, yeah. something else. Tell us, or like, tell us. Always give us feedback. It's always gratefully received. We want to, we want to know what you want to read. Totally. Um, I think this next question might have been asked because I'm obsessed with ice cream. <laughs> Do you want to read it out? This one's so hard. It's uh, so hard. Right. So Dave Jenkins asks... Oh, he's got a Roman numeral in his oh, name. I know. I oh, saw that. No. I was thinking of mentioning it, Eleanor. <laughs> Good God. Right. It's Dave Jenkins, IV. IV, I don't know what number I think that is. is four. I don't know. I can't read them. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, his question is... <laughs> If you could serve one flavour of ice cream at your funeral, which would you choose to best sum up your entire life? Your entire life in your one flavour of ice cream. This is such life. a hard question because I don't know, right? There's a lot to consider. Do you go with colours, like the colour of what the ice cream looks like? Or do you go with flavours? Or do you try and somehow go with both? Because I feel like a colour can like raise and lift your mood in the same way that a flavour can raise and lift your mood and define you. Like, right. So uh, colour and flavour, I, I got a bit stuck on those. I mean, I would absolutely go flavour. Would you? Yeah, I would say that's a lot more descriptive. Because mm, I was thinking immediately of, I've not actually had it yet, I need to get myself to a hipster place. But you know the charcoal ice cream that oh, is yeah. black? Oh, it's yeah, like super, yeah. super, super black. I was like, that's a cool one. And like, you know, traditionally in funerals, people wear black and black is yeah. metal. Yeah. So I was like, charcoal would be cool. But that's literally going on colour. It's not going on flavour at all because I actually haven't had it anyway. You say that. However, charcoal is good for you. It's very healthy. <laughs> and you are a very healthy person. Oh, thanks, Brownie. Am I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just ate two chocolate brownies before I came in here. I mean... But I think chocolate's healthy. Everything in moderation. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very healthy uh, mental viewpoint. Yeah, it is a healthy mental viewpoint. Mental health is good as well as physical health. It is. Um, So I think that would represent you fairly. Maybe we should have done our ice cream for each other, actually, that we could have chosen. Okay, well. But you do, I don't know, let's do our own first. It's so confusing. (laughs) It is. I mean, I have been thinking about this one. And the one that came to mind... I don't like rum and I don't like raisins, <laughs> but it was the only ice cream flavour I could think of that would vaguely represent how much of my life I've spent under the influence of alcohol. What about the raisins? They just happen to be there. I can't just have rum ice cream, can you I? You eat a lot of fruit, actually. I've seen you. a lot of fruit, yeah. yes. Yes. Never raisins, though. <laughs> Did go through a phase, but it was short-lived. So an alcoholic ice cream choice? Yeah, I yeah. think it would be misselling myself slightly if I didn't <laughs> if I went for something really wholesome and good for you and I mean ice cream's not that great for you ice cream's but. my favorite food this is why it's so hard for me to choose one um the one I mentioned in a previous podcast was blue cloud which was my favorite growing up and it's like a blue ice cream not the ones that taste of bubblegum it tastes more of an aniseed flavor and Fraser who edits classic rocks website he actually found a company, an Italian company that sells the paste and sent me the email address. And oh I should really email them to try and get hold of it because he's like, you, you can like make your own and I've got an ice cream maker. But that's like a really distinctive aniseed flavor. But that's more of a nostalgia flavor like than yeah. a kind of whole of my life flavor. Like how do you sum up your entire life in an ice cream? Well, you've just blown this wide open. Well, this if, is the- if you're now talking about nostalgia ice creams, 
What about a Popeye? A what? A Popeye. You What's must know that? what a Popeye is. No, I don't. Uh, it's like a 99 flake, but instead of the flake, you've got an ice lolly stuck in the top. What? Yeah. That, these... that was the primary what? school staple for me. Is this because you're from the South? Possibly. What? So you had an ice cream with an ice lolly in it? Yeah, like a uh, sort of tube. Uh, but that's like two puddings in round. one. Yeah, exactly. All the better. What? <laughs> it was It was a good time. It was the 90s. You wouldn't get it anymore. Uh, I need one of these. So we need to find one. I'll try and oh, source one Ice cream flavours. Ice cream flavours. I need to pick one to sum up my entire life. Uh, maybe just good old chocolate because I have had a really awesome life and I'm really happy with it. And chocolate is just a great ice cream flavour. Yep. And it makes people happy because when you eat chocolate, I think it technically releases like serotonin or dopamine or something. A good, yep. it releases, it's serotonin, isn't it? Chocolate releases, pretty sure. Releases endorphins. Endorphins. That's the yeah. one, not serotonin. <laughs> Although that is your they happy are chemical. Similar, yeah. Yeah. Endorphins. Probably. So, so you, you are choosing chocolate. Yeah, I'm choosing to. I'm choosing so that people could eat the chocolate ice cream and hopefully release endorphins and feel some kind of sense of happiness because you have made them happy yeah and because i had a happy life okay yeah i'm gonna go with that okay is that morbid or good i'm not sure it's fine <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's a pretty base level choice but i think for you i'd choose like mango because i always think of you as being kind of like having a sunny disposition <laughs> and liking cool things and also and fruit yeah liking fruit and also you're quite colorful in your outfits you wear a lot of colors i mean mango would be a sorbet though well i'm not a massive fan of sorbets it's fake ice cream isn't it well then <laughs> don't have it <laughs> rum and raisin <laughs> for you i would pick matcha tea oh too yeah because you like japan <laughs> I'm learning Japanese. Yeah. Oh, I like matcha, it's good. The Kit Kats are good. Yeah. They could be crumbled up in there. They could, that would be great. Okay, for you, matcha tea Kit Kat ice cream flavour. Awesome. This is another question that shouldn't have really been on the list, like Christmas albums, because we just take it and run with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, oh no, I've not read this question. Finmeister101 asks, if Metal Hammer was to do a one-day festival lineup, who would you have playing? You can include current or past bands who are no longer together. I'm really disappointed that I've only just read this question now because I don't have an answer. I'm going to have to think of it. So you have to do one in the meantime, Bryony. I mean, I think this would be a good opportunity to uh, do exactly what we've just been saying and give a platform to some up-and-coming bands. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, if I'm just going through new bands that I've enjoyed this year. I mean, Lingua Ignota, as I've already mentioned, would be way up the top for me. Yeah. Um, this question also implies that you can have literally anyone you want. You can have literally anybody. So why don't we just get, like, Slipknot? Well, exactly. I was thinking, like, my favourite show this year... Rammstein. And, yeah, exactly. Like, you, I definitely have Rammstein in there, like, 100%. Um, and then I guess, yeah, who is representing... It's hard, isn't it? Because you kind of want to go, who's representing Metal Hammer in 2019? But if it's literally, you can include, like, your dream bands. 
it's like, oh, I'd get Alice in Chains and, yeah, you know, every single amazing band. But we've got to curate this. That's the problem. So we've got Ramstein, Lingua Ignota. They're good choices. They go quite well together as well, I would say. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion and exploring things from deep inside. They make like a good pairing in my I head. I think they would work too. Uh, who else? We can't... It, yeah, basically, we probably just shouldn't pick all of our favourite bands. We should probably just pick, like, a good sample of Metal Hammer bands who'd make a good lineup together. Does us say you can include current or past bands who are no longer together, which to me implies you can include bands who might be dead. Yeah. Uh, which opens it up. And, like, Black Sabbath as well. It's basically any band... <sighs> <sighs> I need more, I need more parameters, Finmeister 101, because yeah. this is really hard. Like, it, literally, because I'd have pick everybody. Like, it, it says a one-day festival lineup. Could we have 24 hours of bands? You that know? would be amazing. Instead of just thinking, like, oh, yeah, one day, that's, like, 1 p.m. to 11 or something. Could you literally have a program of bands? So, like, as you were... Get, so say like at 6am or something you'd want a band that's kind of you know you're just waking up you're a bit chilled out you kind of want it to be gentle I think I'd have a band like The Who as in H-U I was going to say <laughs> not the classic rock not band the Who. this confuses me every time someone says it in the office yeah no I'd have like The Who because they're a kind of like you know play their horse head violins they've got kind of rhythmic songs they're like interesting but not like super super heavy so you wouldn't really feel like you were kind of getting clobbered at 6am um, and then you know at like two in the morning or something maybe you'd have like something high energy to keep you going like the prodigy and then maybe as it got towards like 4am you want something that's more like chilled out and trance like because you're sleep deprived and you go with like Wardruna I'm just picking random well, maybe times maybe at that here. point you need something to really perk you up it depends when you because I was thinking 6am you'd wake up and have um the who but then yeah if it's 24 hours of buns you're not going to go to bed are you you have no. to stay up for the whole 24 hours. No so bedtime. As 4am hits, you're going to need something pretty high energy, When, I get, I when do we start and when do we finish? I right, was starting at 6am <laughs> and finishing at 6am. Okay, right. So we're easing ourselves into it. So you could have the Who to kind of start. You have like an easy passage and then yeah. we build up more and more dramatics. You have like Ramstein on at like normal kind of headliner time at like, you know, half nine or whatever. Yeah, 10 o'clock, let's say. Round so, it yeah, up. Yeah, round it up. <laughs> something like 10 o'clock and then we're we have to kind of keep the energy up then, yeah. basically. You've got to keep the energy up into... all night. So then after Ramstein, it maybe like does go inside like the prodigy or something. Yeah. So we have to have these different like rhythms of bands. Yeah. I would start with spiritualized. Not very metal hammer though. It's not a metal hammer, sorry. No. Can't have them. <laughs> <laughs> I would say a good bands would be like, good bands for easing you into it in the morning, The Who, Devon Townsend Acoustic Sets. Uh, Wajuna and Highling. of course. Wajuna and Highling, they'd be cool. Um, I feel like if you can have any bands, even bands who are no longer together, you do have to have Black Sabbath because mm -hmm. they're literally the fathers of metal. And if you can bring them back, then yeah, bring them back. So you get them. Uh, would you put them before or after Ramstein that I've just plonked in the headline slot though? I would personally would put them before. Yeah, but it doesn't mean they're lesser in status. No. It just means the pace of the music would this be different. This is based around the 24-hour clock. This is based around the 24-hour clock, yeah. It's not based around stature no. of the bands. No, it's literally the mood that you'd be in at the time of the day. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting itself, actually, because we do have 
festivals where it builds up from kind of small to big. But why not mix it up like Warped Tour or whatever, where they just like, no, here's some bands. Yeah. Although, yeah, it is a bit different. Yeah, what else will we have? What's good for different times of the day? What do you want, like, around lunchtime? They're just kind of your cool, like, yeah, I'm enjoying myself kind of bands. Like, metal... Mm, I'd say, like... Oh, just sort of another one, actually, sorry, for the high energy. Fever 333, they're mm-hmm. really high energy. You could have yeah. them, like, when people were flagging. Or, like, Prophets of Rage, have them. So they'd be on those, like, late night ones. Yes. Late night slash early morning. Yeah. Lunchtime bands. I've suddenly forgotten every band that exists in Metal Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Lunchtime bands, you could have, like, sort of more of a daytime punk flavour. You love a bit of punk, so we'll get some in there for you, Bryony. Why not? All right, I'm trying to think of modern bands. Yeah, one second. I think modern bands would be good for lunchtime. Because you're very awake, so your mind might be a little bit more open. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so if you have new bands around lunchtime, that might work. Hmm. Oh, I'm flagging now because I've forgotten every band that exists. Um, I mean, this idea of a 24-hour festival is possible. It's a good idea, isn't it? Well, uh, when I the one year I went to Le Guess Who festival, and there was a 24-hour drone marathon. That's too much. So it's <laughs> too much drone. <laughs> bands were taking it in shifts to uh, play for 24 hours straight. Drone music. Not into that. Oh, it was great. Was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to find some inspiration keep thinking keep thinking um who else five finger death punch would be good for energy as well um what else do we have i'd like to see oh i don't know come on Bryony. we're almost there we've got the concept <laughs> We've got some bands in key places. We do. And now we just need some of those other ones. Trivium are always a good shout. Actually, Trivium could be a sort of lunchtime band. They're just a kind of good, like, you know, everybody can enjoy metal band. Um, I think Sheermag would be a good uh, lunchtime band. Who? Sheermag. So they're kind of a power pop band. They're like, they're great. Um, They're very riffy. Good power pop riffs. Um, and they would be a nice fit for lunchtime because they're kind, of, they're kind of a new band. They've been around for years, but they're coming up a little bit more at the moment. Well, we'd have like some of the bands we mentioned, like Venom Prison. Yeah, I'd definitely have, have them all over. Downtown Boys would be another good one. I don't know any of these bands, Barney. <laughs> <laughs> right, this is just my lunchtime hour and a half. After oh, right, that, okay. It okay. goes back to your... We could call this Briny Hour. Yes. Or Brower. Brower, for sure. The Brower. The half hour of Brower. <laughs> Help me. <laughs> I'm dying. <laughs> what about La Dispute? You like them, don't you? I always thought it was La Disputes. My oh, I don't know. I don't know. Absolutely no idea. Um, well, yeah, this is your hour. Who else? Um, yeah, like you said, Slipknot. Got to have Slipknot on there. You've got to basically have some Slipknot. Well, we didn't even think of Metallica. You've got to have Metallica as well. It's Metal Hammer any day. And yeah. Iron Maiden. How are we going to fit in Sabbath, Iron Maiden, Metallica? 
I don't, I don't know if Judas I would include Priest. Iron Maiden. I feel like if you've got anyone, it's a Metal Hammer Dave. He's got to put all the big hits in there. But as you say, how would you order it? I don't know. Exactly. Code Orange, want them in there. Uh, Zelenada. Dead Cross, the good high energy. Yeah, you'd have them. They're metal. <laughs> Deftones. Yep. Oh, Deftones. They they would be a great like three transition or, band. Three or four o'clock in the afternoon. That yeah, that would be good actually because they're a good bridging between sort yeah. of like some of the chilled stuff and like some of the heavier yeah, stuff. Yeah, and then they'll ease you into your evening. Yeah. Programming. Um, yeah, I think I think we've got a good base here. We just need to work <laughs> out the details. That was a really hard question. I think we've answered it. Really hard question. Yeah, I think so Adequately. too. You can always let us know who you would have. Um, all right, this is a hard one as well. So Smick says, complete this chain. Sabbath, Priest, Maiden, Metallica, Pantera, blank, blank. So I, I'm guessing from this, it's like a line of influences, right? Yeah. So Sabbath, who influenced Priest, who influenced Maiden, who influenced Metallica, who influenced Pantera, blank, blank. That's what I'm going for. I don't know if that's definitely what it is, but it looks like a sort of influences chain. I or even if not it. influences, it's just like the the natural evolution of bands. Of metal. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's I it. interpreted rather than, it. Rather than influence, the evolution is a much better word. Yeah, that is, so one leads to another. Exactly. In the natural chain of metal. Yes, did you pick anyone for the blanks? Well, I thought the obvious blank following Pantera is Slipknot. Interesting. I thought that was very, very straightforward. Interesting. <laughs> and then I didn't realise there was another blank after that, so I've not thought about <laughs> it. <laughs> Why did you pick Slipknot? Uh, because if you look at this list of bands, I can't just off the top of my head think of one that matches as well in terms of they're really popular and they're really important and influential. And sort of the aggression, I suppose. And the aggression, and yeah. That, the sort of modern, at the time they were formed, metal band who were kind of making really interesting metal for the time that they were yeah. born in. But actually one of the things that did make me pick them was the fact you can't argue at all that they are a metal band oh you mean they have to be like no one can say that Slipknot aren't a metal band yeah Yeah. whereas I know a lot of people nowadays well from the comments we receive on our websites (laughs) would argue the toss that Metallica are a metal band in 2019 right well yeah commentators um but with a band like Slipknot you can't everyone agrees yeah, no, it's good. It's a safe bet, Bryony. Well, I went what with for. Machine Head and Five Finger Death Punch because I feel like you can think Pantera with Machine Head in sort of attitude, and then Five Finger Death Punch are kind of the modern day equivalent of some of those bands. It's like not everyone likes them, but they're a massive metal band. Again, I think you can. You have to admit they're metal, like they are a metal band, they're a heavy band, and they're kind of doing like catchy, heavy metal. I did consider Machine Head. Yeah. But to me, this goes chronologically as well as evolutionary. Yeah. But I think you could that's what I was getting with influence, it was chronology. You're so much better at words, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but I still think you could say Pantera Machine Head because um, I think you can say that and it's fine it might be my brain being lazy but when I think back I kind of group them into the same era I don't I would group Pantera and then Machine Head but 
Fair enough. That's just me. So there you go. That was a hard riddle as well. These questions are really, really hard, but it's good though. We like hard ones. I just went for the real base level answer. I mean... Someone's got to. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like Cowboys from Hell came out in 1990, if we're sort of looking for Breakthrough Pantera. And Machine Head Burn My Eyes was 1994. Okay. And Pantera were going like a lot longer before then, but obviously they're in the glam metal phase. So for me, there's enough distance there that it's still a thing. Fair enough. Okay, we have one more question. This one is from Matthew Bell. He says, on first listen to the new Opeth album, that's in Cordovinum, I wasn't blown away, but loved it from the second listen. What albums have you thought were okay at first, only to come back later and be blown away by? I mean, my answer to this is not a metal album. Go on, Brian. Am I allowed? You're allowed. Okay, so Swerve Driver are a shoegaze band. Uh, if you like things like Deaf Heaven, you, mm. you might be more interested in checking them out. They are one of the first wave of shoegaze bands that uh, kind of shaped the genre. Um, their album in 2015, I think it was, um, I Wasn't Born to Lose You. Mm. I listened to it, uh, first of all. Wasn't massively impressed to me. I think when a band has a legacy of a couple of really strong, established albums sometimes from many years before it can be very hard for them to release something uh and have it accepted with sort of open ears so definitely, i yeah. definitely fell into the trap of um listening holding it up to what had come before instantly deciding i was disappointed ignoring it for about two years and then going back to it and absolutely love it now <laughs> it's one of my like all-time favorite albums so how did they change style then i mean it wasn't so much that they changed style i think they just kind of transposed their style onto right. a new uh millennium so like... good at words briny <laughs> <laughs> transpose is obviously a musical word when it... you were using it for the uh just for the motion of yes. one thing to another <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, yeah, they, I, I don't know if it was necessary that their sound was hugely different. It was, but they were, it was a subtle nuance change. Um, there was maybe a bit more like straight up rock, riffy rock in there than uh, the sort of very sprawling shoegaze that they were, had made their name for. But now it's great. It's exactly, I think, what the only thing they really could have done. Um, with that follow-up, because it was the first album they'd done for a long time after two albums, where, which is widely considered, they lost their way a little. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's brilliant. Put that one on the Office playlist as well. I chose Converge, All We Love, We Leave Behind, Mm. because I'd never really been that into Converge. Um, It's not particularly my thing, although I get why people hold them, like, so close to their hearts. But I just thought that record was really incredible. It was just... uh, yeah, the depth of feeling in that I thought was tangible and um, I was quite surprised by how much I liked that record given I hadn't really been that into them before. And it did, yeah, it did change my mind listening to that. So that's the first one that came to mind. Excellent. It's a good choice, I think. Have you heard it? No. <laughs> Another one for the Office <laughs> playlist. The Office <laughs> playlist is very, very long now. It's good though. We're going to have fun. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that's all we've got time for today. So join us next week 
when I think Merlin Owl will be back. I'm actually not here next week, though, so you'll just have them. It's all change. Or all back to normal. (laughs) Yeah, join us then. Thanks for listening. See you guys. Bye. Bye.